From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. I'm grateful that you joined me today in the Sherpa's Cave. I have something, a really important question I want to ask you today, and I hope that you can answer this in your own heart. How do you know if you are ready to start a business? You know, last time I met with you, I shared with you some ideas about why you should start a business, but then it comes down to actually doing it, right? How do you ever really know? You know, a business takes three years, typically up to two to three years before it really starts to turn a profit. And then between years five and seven, you can really start to count on that income that comes in from the business. So I think it takes quite a bit of effort in those initial years. And so you might want to look at your readiness. You know, according to Forbes magazine, 75% of businesses survive the first year, 69% the second year, and 55% all the way through past five years. Now, keep in mind, some of those sell, and so maybe that's why the statistics might be a little skewed, but you have a better than 50% chance of surviving past five years. Now, I'm not sure how you view those odds, but being a little bit of a risk taker, I view that as pretty good odds. Now, I want to kind of focus on 15 areas that I found from an article in, and there's a lot more, and I have a whole list myself. And there is one that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has in their resources. If you go to their website under Life Help and Self-Reliance, it's how to start and grow a small business. And I think that's, there are some important questions to ask yourself, but I'm going to talk about 15 principles that will help you be more successful and determine that you're one of those uh, 55% that make it past five years and certainly one of those that makes it 75%. And if more people follow this, maybe those statistics will go up. The list was compiled by a, name, by a man named Sujan Patel, who founded a company called Web Profits. It's in Entrepreneur Magazine in June 2015. The first one, he says, is you have a passion for your new venture. You know, I think that's important because you have to be committed. You have to feel good about it. You have to look forward to getting up and going to work every day. You know, there are certainly gonna be obstacles that come up along the way. And if you have a passion and you have a purpose, then you'll be able to more easily overcome those obstacles. You know, I found that myself when I started a new hobby. I started a hobby of showing horses. When our children were getting older and went off to college, my wife turned to me, or I turned to her actually, and said, okay, now we can start to get rid of the horses because it was a hobby. And she said, you know, you need to try it. So I did. My first time in the show ring was quite pitiful and not wanting to be embarrassed and also finding that I really enjoyed it, thought I better work at it. So I put together a plan where I worked really hard. Eventually I became a national 
a national champion and a world champion. And I think it's that kind of passion that will show when people talk to you in your business. Let me tell you, I think you've seen the episode with David Friedman of Friedman Harness and Saddle on the Bishopa podcast. If not, I really recommend it. A sixth generation business owner. So talk about beating all the odds. That's quite incredible. Very few businesses make it into six generations. They sell or find other ways to liquidate the family fortune. But anyway, David told me one time when talking about people asking him, well, he's new. How is he? How can he come in here and win? And he said, look at his passion. Just look at the smile on his face when he shows. So maybe I can put up a little uh, clip of me showing, but it really does bring great satisfaction to me, as did owning a business. Of the number of businesses that I've owned, I've always enjoyed the interaction I've had with my clients. You have to bear in mind that your own resolution is what's needed to succeed more than any other thing. That's a, a quote by Abraham Lincoln. You have to be a true believer in your idea. So not only a passion, but what's the old saying? If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. I don't know where I heard that, but I've heard it most of my life. And I experienced it one time when I was a teenager. I loved to swim and I would get up and I would go swim just on the swim team in the summertime and practice. And then I'd love to come home and make a bunch of scrambled eggs with cheese on them for breakfast. But anyway, back to the swimming. I had a great season one time swimming freestyle, the 50 yard, because I'm not an endurance person, believe me. But I would swim this distance and I was very successful at it. I was at the county meet and my coach came up to me and he said, Craig, you know, um, look at the guy you're going to be swimming next to. He holds a state record. And I was excited to swim because I hadn't been beat that year. But now all of a sudden my heart sunk and I started to doubt myself. Here I am against stiff competition, probably the stiffest I'd ever faced that swim season. As I got on the starting blocks and dove into the pool, I swam as fast as I could the first length of the 25 yards and to do a flip turn. And as I was turning, I looked over to see where the state champion was. And I saw that we were pretty much neck and neck. And so with a resolve to swim fast the next time, I started to think as I turned my head straight to swim toward the other end through the flip turn, I noticed something. Not only did I see where he was, but he wasn't looking at the other lanes. He was looking to see where he was in comparison to me. So maybe there was a seed of doubt in his mind. And you know, you can't very well swim with your hand to the side and your head always turned sideways. You swim faster. I took one breath and swam the other 25 yards as fast as I could. Then I looked and I had touched the wall just before he did. I had the undefeated season that I looked for. I didn't set a record that day, but I did learn a lesson. And that lesson is you have to believe in yourself or no one else will. And you look, when other people start to doubt, they also can feel pressure. And I think it takes that inner confidence. Now, I'm not saying a childlike confidence is what we're after, but that confidence comes from a sense of purpose. You know, and that leads to number three on the list. You have a product or service with a good market. Now, that's his, his words. 
But my words are, you have to have something unique, a problem that you're solving, a passion that you have, that you can deliver something in a way and in a manner that's unique to you that no one else can. You know, think of Coca-Cola. They have a secret formula. They tried to change it. Remember New Coke? And if you don't, go Google it and read about it. It was a failure. The original formula still stands today. And I would say, once you figure out that secret sauce, stick with it. Sure, you need to evolve, but be careful that you don't change the basic principles that underlie your business and its founding. You know, you don't want to copy someone either. I had an opportunity when I was in the real estate development business to merge with one of my competitors. Now, they were a formidable competitor. We just didn't develop necessarily in the same parts of town, but we were in the same metropolitan area. And they did quite a bit of business. As I met with the owner and started to figure out why they wanted to merge, it quickly became apparent to me that they were about doing as much volume as possible. My premise was to do it as profitably as possible, but to not skimp on the construction costs and the materials and the design and the parking ratios that made it truly own for less than rent and have a building with your name on it that you can really be proud of. You know, as I stuck to those principles, I found that the profits were significantly more than my competitors. And I chose not to merge. Had I merged, their profits would have gone up, mine would have gone down when you split the pie at the end of the day. I think it's important to keep your eye on what your principles are. That doesn't mean that his, my competitors weren't good. It's just they had a different way of approaching business than I did. And I felt comfortable with mine. And so I, I stuck to my guns. The fourth point he makes is know your players. You know, the first thing that's really important once you have your idea in place and once you start going is you're never gonna make it alone. And one of your key things as a new small business owner, and Henry Ford said, start out small and learn your lessons, but learn to hire well. You'll need to bring people on to help you. And so you need to know your team. You may bring people from that you know. I'd caution you from hiring friends, but you may have people that you've worked with at another company that may, bring, may have the skills and may have proven themselves in the industry that you're serving. So I think it's important. You know, this is probably the time when you start to hire people that it's time to get a line of credit at a bank. And I'll talk more about that in another episode, but I think it's important to t be able to pay the people that come to work for you and not have to worry about the timing of when revenues come in and when you have to meet the payroll. I have a story on that too. I was hesitant to get a line of credit. I wanted to pay my overhead out of pocket and reap the benefits of my development profits at the end of the day. We were at a point in time where I had three projects now going and they were eating up a lot of capital and I'd hired quite a number of people. We were getting close to the next payroll and I was wondering how I was gonna make it. Sure, I had the ability to go get a loan and I was thinking about that. But a call came into the office one day and a man said, you know that new project you just announced? I wanna meet someone there today. So our sales manager went out to meet him. He flew in in a helicopter and said, I want the building right there on the corner. 
how much do you want today to hold it? And he wrote him a check for $25,000 to hold that building for him. He trusted us, we trusted him, and I was able to meet the overhead for the next several months. You never know where it's gonna come from, and you have to keep at it. You know, if you stop advertising and you stop promoting, you might as well close your business down. You know, on the list of 15, number five is have a plan. You know, my friend Robert Kogadal, Mr. Accidental Success, didn't have a plan. And I think, you know, sometimes that works. He had a passion, he had a desire, he had an expertise, he had some knowledge, and he had a lot of training as an acupuncturist in Chinese medicine. And you know, those things came to work for him. He also had a good personality, and he soon learned how to find a niche market. And when he found that niche market, he was able to exploit that in a positive way to bring in a steady stream of referrals that really built his business. So the next thing you have to do, and this goes along with not only having a plan, but you have to have a brand. A brand, think about it. Think about the great brands that are out there, Kleenex, Coca-Cola, certain cereals, you know, that come to mind immediately for me. What does that mean to you? Even American Express is a brand, right? It's how you're gonna connect with the world. That's what a brand is. How are people gonna identify you from the myriads of other products or services out there? That's how you're gonna portray yourself. You know, we branded ourselves by saying own for less than rent. And we really did do a good job of promoting that. Now you need to figure out not only the saying and protect it and trademark it, but you need to have the principles that are gonna support that brand. Good parking ratios, easy accessibility from the street, building with your name on it, visible signage, drive up to the front door parking for your, your patients and your clients. Those all resonated with our buyers and they were a, a slam dunk, an easy deal once they understood that we cared about them and knew what they needed. So keep that in mind when it comes to it. Have a good brand idea and then have a good plan to execute that. The seventh thing he mentioned is you're, you have to be ready to learn. Now, I have to laugh a little bit about that, right? I just talked to you about being confident and that you will be, my, my swimming story about having confidence, I think it's important. But I also think it takes some humility. Stephanie Barnier, one of our guests, said she's a coach, but she's also coachable. And I think that's what this number seven means. Be ready to learn, be coachable. Learn from your mistakes. We're gonna all make them, I did. The key is to make fewer mistakes than you do successes and the formula will work out in your favor. As you're ready to learn, you will learn from the school of hard knocks. That's one thing that a business owner will have is a degree in hard knocks. And it's the lessons that we learn from those hard knocks that keep us from making big mistakes and repeating them. The worst mistake we could do is quit when we're down. And the other biggest mistake we could do is not learn from the last lesson that we did, keep doing the same thing over and over again. 
You know, the person that falls down and doesn't get up is certainly going to face defeat. The eighth item on his list is you can face the fear of failure. Now, I'm going to take a different approach on this. I've talked about fear of failure before. I think fear of failure can be a motivating factor. It means you get up in the morning to prove to the world your brand, your product, and to solve the problems at the office or at the factory that would limit your ability to reach as many customers and solve as many problems as you can. So I have a Biz Surface scorecard that helps you focus on what's important. I have to admit that I saw my father struggle in business and I saw him, I wouldn't say fail, but he reached a point in time where he wasn't able to provide for himself. You know, that was a scary thing to me as I started my own business right out of college with a master's degree. So, you know, you have to be able to have some resilience. And there's an episode we have on emotional resilience. Fear of failure can be a strong motivation, but it can also be one that holds you back. Someone once said, in order to succeed, your desire for success should be greater than your fear of failure. And I think that's important. The desire to succeed should exceed our fear of failure. But the fear of failure sometimes is a motivating factor. Just don't let it paralyze you and don't let it cause you to give up. The ninth item he lists are you can face the fear of success. Now, to me, this is a very interesting point. You know, I read a book called The Million Dollar Practice one time. And in, it was for dentists, but I learned a life lesson in it. The life lesson is that some dentists could put together all the principles taught in the million dollar practice and even pay the consultant to help them. And they were well on their way to the million dollar practice. But some of the dentists never succeeded in hitting that. And as the author studied and talked to them, he found that they didn't feel worthy of success. There's no reason to apologize if you're successful, and there's no reason to gloat about it either. It's important to be humble, but I think the key here is don't excuse yourself from success. Don't underprice your product fearing that you're going to overcharge someone. If you've put your heart and soul into it and you know you're unique and you know why your product's unique, then command the premium that that should bring. I think that's that what it means when you face the fear of success. You have to be able to do that. I wouldn't spend a lot of time looking at the competition either. You know, I told you I would have lost that race. I guarantee you I would have lost that swim race that day had I kept looking at the competition. I think you need to decide for yourself and then go out and do it. And then you'll find that if you do that, you're the one setting the standard. You're not trying to copy or take the moves that your competitors do. You need to do what you feel is right. After all, it's your business. You have the right to make those decisions. Come what may, you may have greater success than those of your competitor. You know, hard work and ingenuity breed success. And I think those are the keys to not fear success. It takes that hard work and keep the ingenuity going. Make sure your product or service ranks in there among the best available. 
Number 10, have some cash available. You know, these are reasons your business can succeed. You know, I found that probably the most important thing, more than cash, is to have the emotional support of your family and your friends. And then a lot of people in business start out with very little. I, I've mentioned in a previous podcast, Michael Dell out of his college dorm room or Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, the Apple computer started out of their garage or bedroom. You know, these are people who didn't have a lot of money. In fact, they paid some of the neighborhood kids to assemble the computer boards. I think it's important that we don't think that the money is, is the answer to everything. I know it's on the list and I'm not disputing it. Sometimes you have to accept the funds of friends and family. And I think that is a good place to start. I wouldn't start out necessarily borrowing from the bank. And if you're looking for venture capital, you're barking up the wrong tree. I do have an episode coming up about how to fund your business. And we'll talk more about that. But the term often used is bootstrapping. Work out terms with your vendors. Be creative in the, your ways to be able to pay other people. But be sure you're honest and you pay them. I think it's important that you have to find a way to make it work. Remember, I told you about my office that I had to paint for the down payment, for the, uh, not the down payment, for the security deposit in the first month's rent. I really didn't have it. I needed to get in and get my business going. So at the end of 30 days, I had some cash coming in from the services I was providing as a CPA. I was fortunate that I had some other skills that I was able to bargain with the landlord and get him to agree to allow me to paint my office. And they even paid for the can of paint that I had to use to do it. And it really helped me. So I think there's ways to do that. I remember going to the store, not buying an expensive telephone system. I went to the store and bought a $35 telephone. You know, this is what you need to do when you start. Don't be embarrassed to do that. People are after you. They're not after the looks. Now, the office did look good. I was able to paint it navy blue, one of my favorite colors, by the way. While there are businesses that can start with very little capital, the fact remains it takes time to be successful. You will need to have cash, some saved up or another way to access it in order to succeed. I would add a 10A here. Are you willing to sacrifice and forego buying a new home, buying a new car, taking that vacation the first six months that you're starting your business endeavor I believe in taking time off. I believe in sharpening the saw. I think there are some important principles in getting away and having a hobby. And I've talked about that a lot. But I think you have to ask yourself, when I, when I ask you, are you willing? Are you ready to start a business? This is one of the key factors. Are you, do you have some money set aside or another means to support yourself for a period of time so that you can invest all that you can in that business? and not be a drain on the business from day one. You know, recently I invested in a startup business. And one of the things that I really liked about it, besides the product and the uniqueness of the market that they're after, was the fact that the founders had put in all the capital to date before I put an investment in it. And they'd been in business for almost a year. I love that. I like when someone else is willing to put some skin in the game. And I think as you attract banks, or other investors down the road, it's important for them to know that you've made sacrifices in the past, not crazy ones, but educational 
educated decisions that you took to make the sacrifice to make your business successful and to fund your growth. It will come in handy later on because as I told you, you know, I had some resources that I was willing to do, but I was also in the process of buying out some clients at the time when I was trying to meet payroll and the helicopter came. But you have to be willing to make those sacrifices. You never know when that will come. Now, on the list is be sure you're not in the midst of major life changes. Now, if you watch my episode with Stephanie Barnier, she was pregnant and and she had just had a child and she was starting a business and getting very little sleep at home as a nursing mother. I think that's a life change. I started my business when my, when my wife Carol was pregnant and we had just bought a home. That's another life change. So I somewhat disagree about that. I think it's important to take those into consideration to see how fit you are to handle that. If it's a major crisis, a divorce or something moving to another state, something that's major, you may want to consider delaying it. But I would make sure that you're on stable ground and, and resilient to do it. The other thing that's, I think, important is you have experience in the industry. And the first business I started after college, now in college, I started a house painting business and I had experience because I had done it for my dad for the rental homes that he had. So I had confidence that I knew the industry, I knew what products, and I knew how to apply those products, and I knew how to get a good, a reasonably good finished product. I have to admit, I'm a better painter today because I still like to do it once in a while as a hobby. But I think it's important to understand that you have to have industry experience. You know, I, I worked for a little over a year for a CPA firm. Then I went back and got a master's degree in college. And then I worked for another CPA firm for nine months. And so that gave me my 21 months of business experience before I started on my own. I watched how the big international accounting firm was, was run and how they charged and billed for their time. And I also watched in the smaller firm how they approached it. And then when I had decided one day to start my own, I knew the formula for success. I had industry experience, but I soon relied on some, a greater industry experience that I had. And that is the experience I had learning about real estate at the kitchen table and also getting my license when I was 18. Here I am in my mid twenties starting my own CPA firm and naturally who gravitated to become clients of mine? Those in the real estate development business. Why? I could speak their language. They felt that I could relate to them, not just financially, but I could talk their language of real estate. It is a different language and you find that in any industry. I, was, I helped start a biotech company. And you know what? Fortunately, the founder and the president were scientists and they took time to explain to me the science. Not that I ever fully understood it, but I was able to apply my business skills, but they certainly spoke a different language in that boardroom for the time that I was on that board. You know, I think that's what's important is to have some experience. I think to be totally a novice is a, a mistake. Now, you might talk about Michael Dell 
I've used them as an example or Steve Jobs, but they had some experience. They were trying something new. They were doing things that not even they could accomplish in college. So learn what you can. You know, the other thing that is on this list on number 13 is know a lot about business. Now, that doesn't mean you've had to run a business before and you don't have to know everything about business. There are people out there you can hire. Business coaches, CPAs who can come in and coach you on the finances if that's where your weakness is. But certainly understand how a business works. You know, difference between cash flow, and I, and I have an episode on that. Take a look at it. Difference be, between cash flow and profits. Also, make sure you have an understanding of pricing. Make sure you have an understanding of markets and competition. Make sure you have an understanding of regulations that you might be faced with because certain businesses, and, and there are a lot of regulations out there that touch on businesses, make sure that you know how to meet those labor laws if that becomes an issue for you. These are important things to be aware of. The fact that you're aware of them means that you can hire the experts on the outside to consult with you or to help you conform and comply with those needs. Now, the other thing that I would say that's important is find a mentor in that same area. I think it's important. There are people out there who are in their later stages of their career and are willing to give back and more and are more excited to give back because they can help other people. In fact, I have a passion about that and I've loved mentoring and coaching others. In fact, I look forward to seeing some of the people I mentor become very successful in their fields of business. Number 14 on the list is be good at managing your time. Now, this doesn't mean to have a calendar so packed full that you don't have time to respond to needs and make a pivot when things change. You know, reason to start a business is not so that you have freedom. It's one of the benefits of owning a business when you hit the successful years. But I think it's important in the early days to not look to that freedom. But don't become task-oriented. Make sure you have your goals and objectives, but they have to be major goals and objectives. And I would look at my Biz Sherpa scorecard and make sure you're spending 80% of your time in things that are making a difference in the lives of your clients and your customers. If you're doing that, everything else will take care of itself. I promise you. I've been involved with, I don't know how many businesses in my lifetime as a CPA or as a business owner, a partner or a board member. But when the key people, including the founder, spending his time, his or her time, 80% of it, focused on what's making a difference in the customer's lives, even if it means fixing some of the things that aren't going well, help make a difference in the customer's lives and their employees' lives. Everything else will take care of itself, I promise you. You'll be more profitable, you'll be more happy as you do that. So manage your time. That means be aware of what you're doing. You don't have to punch a clock because you own the business, but you do have to be accountable to yourself. And I think that's a good skill to have. Number 15, you understand the risks of owning a business. Now this may sound, I started out with how many businesses succeed after seven years, it was 55%. If you do those that are on this list of 15 as a business owner, multiple time business owner, I can promise you, your business will survive out to the seven and 10 year timeframe. 
Now, what's important though, is that you understand those risks. Educated risks versus wild risks. A wild risk is showing up at the horse races since there's a painting behind me of a horse race. And because you like the color green and you, haven't, you don't know anything about horses, you bet on the horse with the jockey wearing the green silks. Now, you may win, but you just bet your whole paycheck. There might be five races that day, but you bet it all on the first one. That's a wild risk. Versus that you take a look at investing in a company and you hear other people talking about it and you just go based off of their tip saying, this is gonna be a hot company versus taking the time, and let's say it's a public company, and so you look at their registration statement and their annual reports and their quarterly reports, their 10 Qs and their 10 Ks, and you study it out for yourself and determine what industry they're in, what makes them a, an ideal company to invest in, and then you take part of your money and you invest in that business and you invest in other things. It's called diversification. You have to understand the risks of owning a business. You are gonna be all in. You're gonna put a lot of your life into it. And I talk about how you balance that in one of my podcasts about being able to save money and how much to set aside. So look for that. But I think it's important that you take the opportunity to assess those risks, educate yourself and surround yourself with people who know what those risks are and are there to support you emotionally during those times, because there will be bumps in the road, there'll be challenges, there'll be difficulties, but it's how you respond to those. And if you're in a good frame of mind to be able to respond to those, if you're so stressed out because you're doing everything in the business, you're not gonna have time to solve the critical problems. Again, the Biz Sherpa scorecard, I think comes in handy there. And finally, I say you should ask yourself, why do I, why do I go to work each day? If you're doing it for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you're doing it to stay focused on making a difference in the lives of your clients and your customers, you're gonna find an emotional satisfaction. And I have an episode on emotional currency that I would certainly look at. There's a, there's a reward that's an exchange between you and your customers, whether you are there present or not, where when the product is well-received, it's delivered well, there's a satisfaction that comes. And when they tell you about how it made a difference in their life, there's no amount of money that can compensate for that. That's an important factor to keep in mind. I can think of, somebody asked me one day, well, where do you get the clients or where do you get the guests for your podcast? And I told them, I get them from friends. Why? Because I've had these emotional exchanges with them. I've either used their products or services or they've used mine. And that's where we've had an emotional exchange. And I can think of each one of them and the satisfaction and, and the deep and abiding connection that comes. And that connection goes far beyond the difficulties of the day, the news headline or the latest trend or fashion. And I would say, look at, what's important. You know, ask yourself why. Ryan Moss of Little Giant Ladder Systems, who I interviewed, uh, found out that you need to know the reason there's a problem to be able to fix it. He says, ask the why from Simon Simic. And I think that's a great start 
ask the why, but you have to ask the right question and come up with the right answer. But when you're focused on why your company was founded, who your customers are, and how you make a difference in their lives, everything else seems to fall in line. Then all of your actions become congruent to drive this key principle of success. Don't get stuck in the rut. Be focused. Get out. The biggest determining factor of success is to be focused on your customers. Be focused on their satisfaction. As you do that, and I'm not talking about taking some simple survey, but really understanding what motivates them and how your product or service makes a difference to them. You're going to find that there's going to be these 15 items that you can take notes on. And I want you to score yourself between one to five on these. And I would say, as I always said in school, that Bs are best, As are anal, and I think Cs lead to success sometimes. So I would grade yourself as being ready to start a business if you can get a C or 70%. So if there's five points for each one, for 15 of them, that gives you 75 potential points. So if you score a 52 or better on that, you're probably ready to start a business. Let me know. I'd love to have your feedback. I hope you watch this and share this with your friends. My objective as the Biz Sherpa is to inspire business ownership and to encourage and enhance the success of current business owners so that they can get past that three, five, and seven year period and be successful. The principles we talk about are basic and simple. The key is the focus, the passion, and the commitment that you bring to it. What's unique to you? And I think that's the greatest thing. There is great freedom in being able to express yourself each day. That's the joy of being a business owner. That's why I started the Biz Sherpa podcast. I hope you enjoyed being with me today and got something out of this that helped motivate you to determine that you are prepared to start your business. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.